the grain of truth in the whole thing is that that ISIS fighter was killed by us and that nobody at that time had a problem with it. We killed that guy. Our intention was to kill him. Everybody was on board. Not one person was Your intention was, like, was to kill him? It was to do medical scenarios on him until he died. A live tissue lab. Until that prisoner wasn't alive anymore. In September 2018, Eddie Gallagher, a decorated Navy SEAL with two bronze stars, was arrested and charged with war crimes, including executing, with a hunting knife, an unarmed 17-year-old ISIS detainee in Mosul, Iraq. Gallagher vehemently denied the charges, and together with his wife mounted a public relations campaign that made him a hero to Fox News and supporters of Donald Trump, convinced that he had been unjustly accused while doing what the U.S. government had sent him to do, kill terrorists that threatened the rest of us. Gallagher beat the rap after a highly publicized trial in which a key government witness recanted his testimony. But in the extraordinary new podcast series, The Line, Gallagher essentially confesses to the crime asserting he and his colleagues did indeed agree to kill the prisoner with unneeded medical treatment because, he says, he was going to die anyway. By examining Gallagher's case, the line explores the fuzzy boundaries that separate war crimes from warfare. We'll talk to the host of the line, Dan Taberski, on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice. I have to say, this was... Really an amazing podcast. It grabbed me right from the beginning. I didn't know a lot about the Gallagher case. I'd only followed it very loosely, but it really sucks you into the sort of netherworld that uh, our fighters are in all around the world, special operators in, where they are asked to do these incredibly dangerous missions essentially designed to kill the enemy and then have to answer questions about where the line is. And, um, you know, I I think anybody listening to this is going to conclude that these are not nearly as simple and easy questions as a lot of us would like them to be. It's masterful storytelling. You know, he takes this trial narrative and uses it to shed light on all of these very difficult, morally ambiguous um, questions. And it just makes you kind of think all the way through. I think what's one of the things that's so interesting about it is, you know, he doesn't kind of take the easy way out at all. I mean, Dan Tversky, the host, could have you know, basically taken the side of the SEALs because we've been asking them to do these awful things for 20 years. We've essentially turned them into killers and then turn around and and prosecute them. But he basically says, you know, there is a line. There should be a line. But we need to humanize these people who we've been asking to do these things for so long. And And we as a society and as the people who put our leaders into office who make these decisions and send them to war uh, need to claim some 
moral responsibility for for these issues as well. It, it's really thought provoking and and very moving as well. I thought. And it's not just a story about Eddie Gallagher. It's about the SEALs and special operators at large over the course of the last twenty years. And we have to face facts that we're probably going to be living in a society, a, a country that continues to use special operators like Eddie Gallagher far into the foreseeable future, given the way we wage war nowadays. Yeah, this is the preferred way to wage war. Right, right, right. And for politicians, it is the easier way to wage war because, you know, they they want, I mean, Obama uh, wanted to be a shadow warrior. He wanted a light footprint. He wanted to use, you know, essentially use drones and um, special operators who operate in the darkness as much as possible because, uh, you know, that way you don't get sucked in into larger wars. And I am sympathetic to that view. Well, and also because it's almost entirely done in secret. So we never know about the failures. We certainly know when they get bin Laden or a Soleimani or, you know, a high profile target like that. But, you know, what happens in these nitty gritty battles where unarmed teenagers get captured and then killed is not something we learn about. So it makes it all the more important to listen to podcasts like this where we do uh, get a glimpse of the reality of what the uh, forever wars are like. But we've got uh, Dan Taberski waiting, so let's bring him in. We now have with us the host of The Line, Dan Taberski. Dan, welcome to Skullduggery. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. And uh, congrats on just a terrific podcast. Uh, it's rare I make it all the way through a podcast series. I did on this one. Uh, you had me to the very last line. Uh, so much to talk about here, but I guess I just want to start out with a sort of basic question. The Navy SEALs traditionally don't talk publicly. That's their credo. You made that clear in one of the yeah. early episodes. And yet you got all these special operators from the Navy SEALs to talk to you. How'd you do it? Time. Uh, it takes a lot of time. Um, I have great producers, including Diane Hudson, my investigative producer I've been working with since my first podcast, uh, who loves to just spend months and months in, in the world and getting to know the people. And, um, you know, I, I think part of the appeal was was that we weren't going to talk about them like heroes. Like we weren't going to talk about them like thank you for your service type stuff. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think that there's there's a lot there's an I think people have had enough of that. Um, I, I think they see the appeal, uh, you know, why that, why that, that positioning them as, as only heroes is, can be a good thing, uh, or, or a valuable thing. But I also think that there are enough problems in the special operations community and especially with how SEALs are reacting to 20 years of war that I think that they're ready to talk about something else. What, if I can, what got you on to this to begin with? I super basic. Uh, Alex Gibney and uh, and Apple approached me and asked me if I'd be willing to take it on. And then I just spent a month uh, sort of just thinking about it and reading about it um, and trying to figure out how I felt about it. Uh, super compelled by how different 
you know, when it was when it was all happening, when it was an actual trial, um, what comes out in that scenario where everyone's just trying to beat each other and you're just talking about what's happening that day and there's very little room for nuance or complexity versus what I was seeing sort of looking at it after the fact, just basic stuff like Eddie Gallagher wasn't pardoned. Like everybody, it, like New York Times still says it. Like you see it all the time. Eddie Gallagher pardoned. He wasn't pardoned. He was he was acquitted of most of the charges, which is just feel, feel, believe what you want about that. But it's just the facts. And then looking at how different people reacted to it on the one side, there were people saying he's a monster no matter what. I don't care if he's innocent, which is sort of a silly approach, I think. Uh, and, and, and the other side was saying not only is he innocent, but do we really care? Like, does it really matter if one of the good guys crosses the line? And I just felt like the gap between those two reactions was really interesting. It, it's a enormously complicated and nuanced story. Yeah. Um, about <laughs> you know moral ambiguity, about gray zones, about the narratives that we tell about the seals that the seals tell about themselves. At the end of the day, what would you tell the the listener? to be listening for in this podcast? What is it that you are trying to communicate uh, to uh, people who may come to this podcast with a very general knowledge of the, of the SEALs and SEAL culture largely created by the, you know, the, the Hollywood myth-making and all of the books that the SEALs themselves have now written about themselves and their, and their glory? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Hollywood myth-making, like, the SEALs had a big part of that. Like after Osama bin Laden was killed, they needed to be recruiting people to become SEALs. Like they were they were recruiting five SEALs a year. They don't do boot camp. They do something called BUDS. It's 26 weeks of just like horror show. And, you know, 200 people start and they end up with maybe five. Like the, the, the types of people that they're looking for um, and what they need them to do is, is so rarefied that they couldn't see a marketing opportunity like the killing Osama bin Laden and just let it go by. Uh, and so, you know, while, while their ethos says, I will not advertise the nature of my work, um, you know, after Osama bin Laden was killed, they sort of took it and ran with it to the point where in 2012, they released a movie called Act of Valor that was that actually used active duty seals as actors in the movie um and so the whole secrecy thing went out the window and so they're 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 a part of that they're they're, they're a part of why that happened um my goal uh you know regardless of what you think of eddie gallagher I, I just think that after 20 years of war and the type of warfare we're asking them to engage in is new and it is not it's not like other wars um, it's not like here are the front lines and here are the, here are the you know, battalions coming in. And, and once we achieve a certain military objective, then everybody puts down their guns and we figure out what to do now. Like after 9-11, they were going on they were going on kill capture missions where, as one SEAL said, you know, they could they could smell their bad breath before they killed them. Uh, and they've been doing it for 20 years. Um, and that is a very different type of war that has a very different type of effect on the people waging that war. And so empathy, regardless of what you think about the SEALs or about somebody like Eddie Gallagher, I think humanizing them and understanding the sort of stressors that they're exposed to, the extended amount of time they've been exposed to them and and how challenging it is to do what we're asking to do like on a basic level. Um, I, I just think that needs to be sort of understood before we go passing judgment, which we should. I mean, you know, they need to, you need to follow the laws of war, but you also need to understand 
the enormous weight that they carry. Yeah, you know, I was going to just a quick follow up on that. And then I think we should really kind of dive into the story itself. You say we need to understand all of those factors. We we should humanize these people and we should have empathy. You called your podcast The Line, mm. um, which is a terrific metaphor. And there's a lot of talk about curvy lines. At the end of the day, uh, did you feel like The Line you know, had to move in any way that that was the appropriate thing to do, uh, that the line can be bent? Or do you feel like the line needs to be where it is? And, and, and then if that's true, then what does empathy really mean? How are we supposed to treat these people when they cross the line? You know, I think after 9-11, on the one hand, you're talking about the people who are waging the war and are they crossing the line? On the other hand, and I think the more important question is what is our responsibility towards moving right. that line? Uh, and I think after 9-11, we moved the line. Enhanced interrogation is moving the line. Kill capture missions is moving the line. Changing the rules of engagement in Mosul is and, and denying it over and over in public like General Maz did in 2017, even though when we got the trial audio and listened to it, they testified under oath that the rules in, of engagement had changed, quote, significantly. Um, things like, you know, uh, that we're sending them out on, I'm making air quotes right now, advise, assist, and accompany missions, AAA. And when you listen to, the, to them testify, you know, it didn't take long for us to realize that they're in combat every day. And that advise assistance and company is a word game to make people who are who are civilians back in America feel comfortable that we're not waging in war. But in fact, you know, these guys are active in 147 countries last year. Um, and so I, I think when, we, when I talk about the line, I think it is imperative to, to follow it. But I think that we need to look at how we as the people who elect the people who run the military and wage wars, what what our responsibility has been towards moving that line. And it's been a lot. Well, let's let's why don't we step back for a moment and quickly just kind of r- remind our listeners what the Eddie Gallagher case was all about, how it got started, how unusual it was really within SEAL culture. There there have been certainly a fair number of cases where uh, SEALs or special operators have been accused of war crimes or misdeeds, but it's very rare that they've been accused by their own colleagues. Yeah. So t- tell us the story real quickly. Yeah, the story is that uh, is built around um, the battle for Mosul in 2017. There's about a thousand ISIS fighters and about a hundred thousand uh, Iraqi civilians in Mosul um, that they're trying to uh, to clear ISIS out of Mosul um, during that time. And the Navy SEALs are brought in to work with the Iraqi ERD to help make that happen. And this uh, Alpha Platoon of SEAL Team 7 uh, was was pivotal to that mission. They were deployed in Mosul during that time and were engaged in you know combat daily. Um, and uh, basically, it revolves around accusations from the SEALs inside Alpha Platoon saying that their chief, Eddie Gallagher, had, um, had committed war crimes. That, that while he was there, uh, basically the allegations that they ultimately told NCIS, which led to the accusations that he was ultimately tried for, uh, he was ultimately tried for attempting to kill uh, unarmed civilians, two, one, a young girl, uh, and the second, an old man uh, on the banks of the Tigris River. And then he was tried for um, for actual murder, uh, for the murder of an ISIS prisoner um, who was in their charge um, that uh, that Eddie was accused of, of stabbing and killing. Um, and of course, you can't kill a prisoner. Uh, that's, that's Geneva Conventions type stuff. So there's... 
a lot to unpack here, but the Navy SEALs who were working with Gallagher said he took out a knife on this 17-year-old unarmed ISIS detainee and killed him with the knife. He denied it. Then one of those SEALs who was a prosecution witness against him, Corey Scott, recants his testimony on the witness stand and says, I killed this prisoner. Uh, I asphyxiated him, something nobody in the courtroom was expecting. I'm sure you weren't expecting, which totally made a muddle of the case. Yeah, total shocker. What was Corey Scott's motivation for either lying the first time and not telling NCIS investigators what he did tell them or lying on the witness stand by telling them that he had killed the prisoner, not Eddie Gallagher. All right. There's a lot of questions in there. Um, (laughs) First of all, let me say that I think uh, it's generally acknowledged that the prosecution screwed up the case. Um, The, uh, the lead prosecutor was, was thrown off the case just a couple weeks before they went to trial for, for, for putting email trackers on emails that he had uh, sent to uh, Gallagher and lawyers. And so the guys who were left it, they had a couple weeks to prepare on their own. None of them tried to murder trial. Um, so that's the sort of atmosphere we're entering in. Corey Scott, uh, who was testifying technically for the prosecution, gets on the stand and says, um, basically, like you said, he didn't kill him. I killed him. Uh, by putting my my tube over it, my, my thumb over his air tube, um, and uh, and ending his life. Although to be clear, just I think it's important to point out he he stuck to his testimony that Eddie Gallagher stabbed him. Yeah, but that but that's not what killed him. That's not what killed him. And that's also when the media reported the next day, nobody was really interested in that fact that that he still testified that that Eddie Gallagher stabbed him. I think. They were just interested in the fact that, you know, courtroom confession, because it was huge, like just like an enormous on the stand courtroom confession, like a Perry Mason moment. It has to point out. Yes. (laughs) Or really. Um, The interesting thing about Corey Scott, I don't know what Corey Scott's motivations are. Uh, And, and, you know, we we didn't talk to him. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I will say this. I don't know what I would have done in Corey Scott's situation either. And I do say it in the podcast. And and that the reason is, and talking about the line, is that when you get all the evidence that we got and when you hear the courtroom audio that we heard, you realize that the SEALs, the, the partner forces that they were helping were, were accused war criminals and blacklisted by the United States um, and that we decided to work with them anyway. And several SEALs that we spoke with said that the Iraqis that they were working with were torturing people nightly. They could hear it through the walls. They were sharing a building. And many of the SEALs that were there, um, you know, said this in their statements uh, to NCIS and and said similar things on the stand, believed that um, and had every reason to believe, it sounds like, that they would be tortured and killed by the Iraqi partner forces that we were working with anyway. And so I I will say that, that if I were Corey Scott, the idea that my testimony, and it all came down to Corey Scott's testimony, right? Like it was his testimony that was going to seal the deal. I, that That's what it really felt like. If Corey Scott had said that Eddie Gallagher stabbed him and killed him and, and, and pointed the finger and did the whole dramatic thing, Corey Scott would have been on the hook for having sent his chief, a fellow SEAL, that they are conditioned to feel unhalting loyalty to, 
he would have been responsible for putting him in jail for life for a crime that probably would have been committed a couple hours later by the Iraqi ERD anyway. So so it sounds it sounds like, Dan, the motivation just to, to Mike's question is it's it has less to do with wanting to make sure that this ISIS prisoner is not tortured and murdered and more to do with uh, being um, loyal to the to the SEAL code of protecting your teammate, right? We, I mean, those are all the things that are at play. Again, I don't know what the truth is. Yeah. I know what he did on the stand and it was completely changed his story. Yeah, well, I was going to say at the end of the day, <laughs> then, you know, this seems to the casual listener as a muddle because then yeah. after he gets off, Gallagher tells you, yeah. oh, yeah, we did kill the guy. All of us agreed we we're going to kill the guy. So what are we supposed to believe at the end? What do you believe? Is Eddie Gallagher a war criminal? I would never I would never venture to say that. I would I would say I'll say this is that Eddie Gallagher was uh, was declared not guilty of six of the seven charges that he was uh, tried for. Yeah, but then he tells you in his podcast that he did, in, in fact, kill this unarmed prisoner, which would make it a war crime. Uh, that is not up for me to decide. Uh, I, he, I, I can tell you that what Eddie Gallagher tells us at the end is a very different story than what he told us in the beginning. Uh, and it's a very different story than what uh, what he and his advocates were and his attorney, including his attorney, were telling people during the trial. And it's a different story that his accusers told as well. Yeah. Yes. Dan, maybe you could explain this concept of uh, nursing someone to death, um, which I'd never heard before. Um, and it seems like it's um, not uncommon. It's certainly pertinent. Uh, you know, it's something that came up as we began our investigation into the story of the concept of nursing somebody to death, that 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 if if a prisoner were taken, it's not that they would be killed, but they would be nursed to that. That the theory is that you could nurse him to death, that 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 prisoner would not make it out of their life. Um, so it's not it's sort of a, a, a gray way of of killing a prisoner of war. Right. And and it, it is something that 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 was corroborated that that, that does exist by other seals that we spoke to. Mm-hmm. Um and when we asked Gallagher about that, he confirmed he confirmed that at least in his opinion that that, that they were nursing him to death. Yeah. Or as he says, killing. But he still insists that he didn't stab him. Right. So there is a clear contradiction between Corey Scott's testimony and and Eddie Gallagher on that on that point. Well, there's a contradiction on, on all the testimony at this point. Yeah. They all conflict with each other. Yeah. So stepping back from the, the Eddie Gallagher story, which I think is, is you use as a a framing mechanism really for examining the seals as a whole. Mm. Um, And, and many of the, the kind of the challenges and the the kind that they've, that they've been facing uh, since the wars began in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I'm curious do you feel like anything has changed within the seals as a result of the trial and as a result of all of the publicity um, over the course of the last few years? I mean, I think nobody's happy with it. Nobody wants that sort of publicity. You know, they they when they left Mosul, they were heroes. Like they cleared Mosul. Like they 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 liberated that city. And I think this conversation takes away from that sense of being heroic. I, I will also say that the SEALs that we spoke to, the individual SEALs that we spoke to, and this for us was not about talking to the Pentagon. 
kind of couldn't care less. It's, it was more interested in talking to the people who were out there doing the fighting. You know, the, the year after Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011, 23 uh, American special operators committed suicide. Active duty, not veterans. It's a huge number. And I think, you know, they're, they're all experiencing things that has just recently been turned into a term called uh, operator syndrome. Um, that is uh, being pinned on the things they're asked to do, including traumatic brain injury, including PTSD, including, I think, significantly moral injury, meaning, meaning making choices in, in combat that are difficult to live with when it's over. And, and I think that you can't look at the symptoms of, of, of what they're suffering from, which include things like aggression, anger, impulse control, um, moral disorientation. You can't look at all these sort of transgressions that you see of the SEALs and special operators doing in public, uh, rampant drug use, um, murder trials, scandals. I think you need, you need to look at, at the, the impact of the war that is causing these symptoms that would make somebody do these things. I just think that they're related and the, and the Pentagon does not seem to be making the connection. And I think it's time. Let me, uh, if I could, just look at this even, even a bit more broadly, because there's one section of the podcast that really uh, grabbed me, uh, and you sort of almost sort of just threw it in there without an in-depth explanation, and mm. I want to come back to it. Gallagher is on trial for committing a war crime, for crossing the line, for killing an unarmed prisoner which you can't do. And this takes place during the battle for Mosul, in which you point out that the U.S. government's strategy was to bomb the water pumps as part of a plan to starve the population of Mosul, which at that point ISIS controlled, but had, mm -hmm. what, a million civilians in it. Mm -hmm. Starving a population as a battle tactic strikes me on its face as a war crime that official U.S. government policy, it sounds like, was to commit a war crime, which, if true, sort of one can understand how Eddie Callagher could look at the charges against him saying, you're coming against me for doing something when our entire U.S. military policy is to do something just as horrific and just as a vile, just as much a violation of that line. I mean, it's complicated for sure. I mean, it is a drastic you know, I, I'm not a military expert or strategist at all, but it is drastic to be to be to be taking out the water pumps in the city, and then and then the seals would be positioned on sniper rifles, keeping civilians from going to the Tigris River to get water, because the idea was you couldn't tell which civilians were working for or being forced to work for ISIS, who was hiding among them. Um, incredibly complicated situation. So I certainly don't want to pass judgment on that. But but starving a civilian population, even if it's that is a population that's intertwined with ISIS, yeah. is still a war crime. Uh, that I can't say, but it's it's yeah, it's intentionally killing innocent civilians. Yeah, I don't know. There may be. Uh... I don't know if there's explanations in the Geneva Conventions about, you know, if there's a larger strategic purpose. Right. I don't know what the actual rules are. But what Mike is getting at is, I mean, kind of uh, the, the mixed messages that these special operators deal with uh, all the time. And I'm interested in 
the kind of dichotomy between the SEAL culture, the training. It struck me that most of these, um, or a lot of these people that you, these SEALs that you had viewed, uh, not just Eddie Gallagher, they essentially say they're killers. That's what they're trained to do. And they are sound fairly remorseless about it, that that is their job. They see themselves on the side of good versus evil. You know, and 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 that doesn't come out of you know nowhere. I mean, that is that is. Well, a, I don't think they all see themselves that way, for sure. And I yeah. think that's part of the problem that the seals in Alpha Platoon had with Eddie Gallagher is that he sees it as good versus evil, straight up good versus evil. It is a righteous right. thing, as, as as he refers to it. Right. And and I don't think a lot of seals. I don't think every seal thinks that at all. I think a lot of seals think um, we are sent out there to do difficult things because we can. We're built for it. We have the sort of the qualities um, in a person that that allows us to do that, and they want to serve. And I think that there's a different contingent that feels probably more like Eddie Gallagher does, like like he says, like there are rules, but rules can be bent. Um, and so I think that is that that is the tug of war that's that's playing out uh, in the seals right now. And I think the Gallagher case is is really exemplary of that. I, I I will also say that in terms of like the mixed messages, like even just considering that the fact that General Mattis in 2017 he, he was on Face of the Nation and and he was saying that uh, that our strategy in Mosul has changed from attrition to annihilation. Annihilation. That was the goal. Was was annihilation of ISIS. And so, that that's what I mean when I say it was the fu- it was fuzzy that, that that it was gray. And that yes, word there are there are, there are rules that you have to follow. But when your president is out there saying not only you know extolling the virtues of torture and not just torturing you know the fighters, but torturing fighters' families, which Trump said on the stump. Um, and when we're when we're declaring annihilation and when we're working with you know with with accused and proven war criminals to begin with. The mixed messages are horrific. Uh, and so I do think it is a culture problem within the SEALs, but I think it's a culture within the military. And I think it's a, a culture problem in the military. I think it's a culture problem with any country who thinks that you can fight 20 years of war and not have it impact the ones who are fighting. I wonder, um, do, do you draw any line at all from the the Hollywoodization of, of the SEALs, this idea of the kind of the hero industry and and the kind of uh, moral corrosion within within the uh, within the seals, um, and I also wonder whether perhaps out of a sense of guilt uh, that such a tiny tiny percentage of Americans have served over the last twenty years, that uh, there is this you know this need for heroes, this you know thank you for this for your service kind of culture. If that factors into what you're talking about, how we kind of give, give them a pass in some ways, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a big part of our culture. I mean, turn on Fox News, and and that was the whole dialogue during the Gallagher trial was just, you know, it, it was just like let these guys do what they need to do, and right. and don't ask any questions, which of course is just horrific. It is not what what we should be doing. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think the Hollywood is. A, I don't think SEALs coming out like there's over a hundred Navy SEAL books now, right? Like, and there's one there's one called Seal of God, and there's another called <laughs> What Do You Mean I Can't Kill Him? Like, it runs the gamut. And, you know, they, they're on they're on television all the time uh, and, you know, they become sort of like folk heroes and and they cash in on the fame. Um, it's not that I think that creates the culture problem. I think it creates the um, the split in their brains because you're according to the SEAL ethos, 440 words, they all memorize it. It is what is supposed to guide the, the core of what they do. The SEAL ethos says 
I will not advertise the nature of my work. I will not talk about it. I will not talk about being a SEAL. And the minute you break one part of the ethos, I think it became easier for other SEALs to break other parts of the ethos. The minute the minute that that core is, well, we sort of believe it all, except for this part, like, I think that's part of the problem. It's the, the sort of chipping away at the sort of things that they had tried to build into the culture to, to sort of maintain integrity. So there's a there's a, an ongoing, um, let's call it tug of war between uh, the military and efforts to assert more civilian control over the seals. For example, there's there's currently reporting from last week that the uh, that the Pentagon is pushing to make the special operations a separate force within within the uh, armed services. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the same token, there are all sorts of efforts to kind of impose greater civilian control, greater kind of ethics training of seals. Is this actually a uh, a fruitful, kind of dispute or conversation that's going on right now? I mean, do you think there's there's any anything that can be done to kind of change the culture of the SEALs? I mean, after after the Gallagher trial, you know, they, they ordered a big sort of ethics report and it comes out. And in my opinion, it's just it's kind of bullshit. Like it's it basically looks at the organizational chart. It's like, yeah, we've been at war too long. It's really hard. Um, you know, we need to sort of leadership training that 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 sort of thing. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, until they take 85 percent of special operators are estimated to incur traumatic brain injury in training alone. Until you until you look at your fighting force and and see how fighting wars is affecting them in terms of traumatic brain injury, in terms of moral injury, in terms of PTSD, after 20 years, the longest war, no, nobody knows what the effect is of fighting this up close and personal for this long. That is what I think, after talking to the people who are fighting, is the problem. I think it's a little easy to be like, oh, maybe if we just like switch them around in the big in the big flow chart and and like maybe we'll get open plan offices instead of, you know what I mean? Like it just feels like you're tinkering around the edges if you're not looking at how it's impacting the people who are fighting. Well, here here's I think the the problem, one of the problems that we're dealing with, which is, you know, we used to talk about the American way of war, which was overwhelming force, which was tank battalions, large numbers of really large numbers of troops, and now we only want to fight the shadow wars yeah. and we want to rely. We want a small footprint um, and and presidents don't want to expose themselves to, to, to too much. And, and the American people, uh, you know, are tired of of it. So you said the seals are in how many countries? One hundred and eighty four countries. Hundred and forty seven. Yeah. yeah. So as if there were one hundred. Uh, how many countries how many countries are they not in? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> are they, 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 number, they probably are in Antarctica. You know, I mean, yeah. It, yeah. maybe it doesn't change until we uh, until we end the over reliance uh, on special operators. I mean, it does raise the question, how important are the SEALs to our military force, to to the way we fight today? I think a lot of that goes back to sort of ambiguous war that doesn't have a goal, that 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 has no way of ending. Um, I think there is no draft, which I think is a good thing. I am happy for that. But on the other hand, when there is a draft, people have skin in the game. When, when there's a draft, your kids are there. 
and it's random. It's more random than it is the people who enlist. You know, we enlist a certain type. We a certain type of population is targeted to join the military. They join the military. They're the ones sort of experiencing this whole thing. Everybody else is sort of on the edges, and you don't have to pay attention if you don't want to. It's all happening covertly. As far as the politicians are concerned, none of this is happening at all. That's that's the beauty of of of, of dealing with covert, with co- with direct action and covert operations. And I think that is a core problem because it makes people expendable because there's there, there there's no built-in constituency to to help end these things quicker if if other people don't have skin in the game so then a couple of things uh leapt out at me uh in, in your coverage of the trial one is that the dead detainee the victim in this case is never identified by name yeah which struck me as really unusual for a murder case because if you're a prosecutor bring it in a murder case you want to have the jury know that victim and Isn't humanize that, that victim. That's a weird and, feeling. You feel it in the trial. Like, like what is different about this murder trial? It's just that there's no sad story. There's no, there's no yeah. sad story where we're supposed to feel bad for the victim. Yeah. So why did they not – by the way, I went on Wikipedia and they use a name, Khalid uh, Jamal Abdullah. Yeah, but I'm not even sure that that's him. We, 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 we spent months reporting this, uh, which was difficult during a pandemic uh, in Iraq with stringers. And, and we narrowed it down to two, but we're not confident that, that we can narrow it down further than that. Did the government know who the victim no. was? no. It took a lot of reporting to find this. Yeah, no, they didn't. There was no body. Well, that that strikes me as a problem. If I'm if I'm going to bring that case and I'm a prosecutor, I I would want to know the victim. Tell tell the jury something about the victim. There was one detail, right, which was that a an Iraqi journalist interviewed him briefly. Yes, an Iraqi journalist, like it was literally like after the airstrike, uh, while he was still alive in Iraqi, and, and they interviewed him. He was sort of in and out of consciousness, and um, but it's not clear. He he used a, a nom de guerre, I believe. Uh, so so it's not clear um, if it's him. If it's what I remember, like he uses the name of his favorite uh, soccer team uh, as his as part of his nom de guerre, which sort of gives you the sort of sick perversion of this. Like yeah. these are young people. And so, uh, yeah, it's never articulated. And the reality is, I mean, it's a military tribunal. Everybody on that, everybody on that jury is in the military. And this is literally, he is an ISIS fighter. He is ISIS. Like, yeah. I would not want to be the one who has to humanize an ISIS fighter at trial. Like, that is a losing <laughs> battle. Yeah. Um, look, you spent all this time uh, covering the case, uh, speaking to Gallagher. Then it's all over. Uh, he's acquitted for all intents and purposes. And then he makes this remarkable confession to you. What was your reaction when you heard him make that confession? And secondly, what's been his reaction since all this came out? I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to typify it necessarily as a confession. I will say that the story changed dramatically. Well, if he, if he tells you, yes, we killed that guy and that was our intention. Yes, that is. Sounds like a confession to me, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was shocked. Shocked. Um, I was shocked. Still am. And why do you think he told you at that point? And then also, what's been his reaction since this came out? I haven't talked to him since it came out. Um, His lawyer put out a statement that suggested, well, actually, we kind of sort of suggested this all along, although not really. (laughs) They were proffers. They were sort of like 
there were legal documents uh, floating around like that were offered up in a, in a very small sort of subterranean part of the trial that it didn't suggest, as far as I can tell, um, anything to the extent that that Gallagher said to me. Um, basically, it was just that everybody has a different story in the platoon and that we need to take that into account. So I don't necessarily agree with, with, with what Parlatory is saying here, but I also don't I think he was saying it out of uh, I, honestly, like I, I think he was saying it out of honesty of what war is really like. What do, you, I, what, what do you mean? Just explain that. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think he was being, I think he was being honest. I, I, and I, I don't think he was like, haha, you know, I got away with it. I, mm-hmm. I, I think he, yeah, no, I, I think he was, try, I think he was trying to talk about what he felt was his experiences in war. I do. I got the feeling you liked Gallagher after all of the time that you spent with him. Did, did you like him? I did not like him. I mean, I tend to like people. I think part of it is, look, like, I'm not going to be the one who looks at what these guys do callously and just be like, it's black and white. These guys go through incredible trauma uh, in war. And he was nice to me. His wife was nice to me. Uh, I can't say I agree with him. And after what he told me in that last episode, uh, I've got a big problem with it. But it's I, I, he's not an unluckable guy. He's, 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 he's a human being. And, and and obviously you know that, but you you see a lot of like a lot of, you see the word monster thrown around, and and that just really um, drives me a little nuts. He, he's a human being who's been fighting a, a war for twenty years, and um, I think that at least deserves uh, remembering. Dan, if if the uh, if the charges from the very beginning had been uh, that he and let's say some of these other uh, members of the platoon had nursed this ISIS prisoner to death. Mm. What do you think justice would have been in a case like that? I have no idea. Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I, here's what I think. I think your, your podcast shows how difficult it is to make those kinds of judgments. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I guess I'm only at the beginning of thinking what I think yeah. um, <laughs> about, about all of this. And that's yeah. – uh, and that makes it a great podcast because like we always say about you, know, you leave a movie – that that keeps you thinking for a long time. Yeah. That's what this podcast does. Yeah, you can't you can't look at people who are fighting wars, especially the way that these guys are fighting them, and just put it on personality defect. Like this is we're we are putting them in these situations uh, for 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 two decades now, and I, I think that is a bigger part of the story uh, than 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 just uh, Eddie Gallagher. Well, uh, that's a, a part of the story that Biden presumably is trying to address by pulling out of Afghanistan. We'll see if that gets us there or that just gets a new round of having to send in Navy SEALs and other special operators. Well, yeah, I will point out that is more likely that they, they pull out the conventional troops, but they will continue to rely on special operators you know, who we won't hear anything about. Right. That's yes. the thing. It's like, yes, we're going to pull, we're going to pull troops out. But if we did go back with SEALs, would we even know it? Right. <laughs> Good question. But uh, in the meantime, what everybody should do is listen to the line, because um, this is uh, a, a, a truly uh, groundbreaking podcast that explores an issue that has gotten far too little attention with nuance and complexity, which you've done, Dan. So I want to thank you for the podcast and thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Are you kidding me? Completely my pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks a lot.